right. Well, here's the deal. Costco has their Christmas stuff in, so I figured we could go with a Grinch clip. So, you know, why not? You know, that is just such an iconic scene. You know, I'll tell you what, for those of you who are new or you're just back from Davis, I'm new here. So I'm going to do something foolish about every time uh, we get rolling. I'm good. Crystal was coming to save me, which I totally appreciated. So, um, You know, uh, this, this scene from The Grinch is really kind of at the heart of what we're going to talk about this morning. Because it's this idea for the Grinch in terms of what he discovered that it's not about the stuff, it's not about the status, it's not about the season. You know, that it was something a little bit more. And I, what we're going to talk about today is what sets disciples apart what, set, what sets disciples of Jesus apart from the people of the world? What sets disciples apart from the people of the world? It's not our stuff. It's not what season of life we're in or what season of the calendar year, year we're in. It's not our status, but it's our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's our Savior, Jesus Christ. About a month ago, I was talking with Roly, and um, I was given this very special Sunday, September 17th. Why was it special? Because we're a church that does series, and we just finished a series on the book of Acts, and we're going to begin a series on October 1st after our fall launch barbecue next weekend. And he said, you can preach on whatever you want. Now, I'll tell you something. For a preacher, for a teacher, that's music to somebody's ears. So I began to pray and to think, and it really kept coming back to me. What sets disciples of Jesus Christ apart from the people of the world? It's just been a big, big theme in my heart. Last week was opening Sunday of the National Football League. Um, and there's a story, yeah, somebody's happy about that. We won't name teams and success or whatever. That's for, that's for your that's for outside of here. But what I want to talk about is this great story that some of you know about Vince Lombardi, one of the, the fathers of the NFL. Coach of the Green Bay Packers. His legend was this. This was back in the day for all you younger people, and I am included in those younger people. When football players actually worked other jobs in the offseason, <laughs> that's how long ago Vince Lombardi was. So, they would play football because they loved it and they got paid a little something. But after that, they like built houses or they were an attorney or whatever they did for life. Does everybody get this? So Vince Lombardi had to reorient them. That's why there was an NFL preseason uh, back in the day was because everybody had to come back, get in shape, and be reminded. And what Vince Lombardi wanted to do every time that he brought his team together and what made his team so successful was this. He would grab a football and he would hold it out to the team of professionals who played in college and in high school and in growing up in the street or growing up in a, in a youth football league. And he would hold out 
this football, and he would say, this is a football. This is a football. And then he would go on to teach them the very basics, that football is about running, and it's about tackling. On offense, it's about catching a ball and running, or getting a handoff and running and gaining yardage. On defense, it's about stopping that person with the ball. Is everybody getting oriented to a football thing here? But see, for some of us, maybe that was helpful. These were professionals. But as I was reflecting on this opportunity to preach on anything I wanted as a preacher, I was brought back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 to 18. And write it in your notes if you want in that intro portion. It's not our main text for today. We're going to be moving in an Old Testament lesson. We're going to talk about a story from the life of Jesus, and we're going to hear what Paul wrote to one of the churches in the New Testament. But in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18, as Paul wraps up his first epistle, the, the oldest letter in the New Testament is 1 Thessalonians. You want to read some old scripture uh, in terms of the New Testament, read 1 Thessalonians. And as he wraps that up, he says, he says this little pithy phrase. It's great to commit to, member, to memory. Rejoice always. Say that with me. Rejoice always. Some of you aren't playing. Come on, come on. Rejoice always. These people are going to get used to my preaching here for the next few period of time here. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Say it with me. Pray continually. And give thanks in every situation. Rejoice always. Pray continually. And I know you want to say that next phrase with me. Give thanks in every situation. Give thanks in every situation. Why? Check me on it. It says, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I have preached in many, many congregations. And been around the world working with the church. People always ask. I'm searching for God's will for my life. When in the scripture it's super clear. God's will for your life is that you would somehow experience a supernatural grace so that you could rejoice always, pray continually, and give thanks in every situation. This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So you have to be in Christ Jesus for this to be a reality. You may be, be here today, you're not in Christ Jesus. Today, my prayer for you would be that you would be in Christ Jesus, meaning that you receive Jesus Christ's gift of forgiveness and life and leadership for you. But once most of us are in Christ Jesus, it says this, this is, can be our common everyday experience, what we would call the normal Christian life. Rejoice always. Pray continually and give thanks in every situation. Now you're saying to me, Jeff, I hear you. This is what sets disciples of Jesus apart from the people of the world. But rejoicing or prayer on a continual basis or even thankfulness isn't something necessarily for which I'm known. We have our ups and downs, people of God, amen? So, where do I begin? Now, I have a limited amount of time. 
right? So I'm, I'm going to be like Lombardi where he says, this is a football, which is probably rejoicing. Running, which is probably praying continually, right? But I'm going to tackle thankfulness. We're going to tackle thankfulness this morning. Take a temperature of thankfulness. We're going to talk about how do we begin and how do we work on thankfulness. Can we do that together? Good. So we're going to begin by going to and thinking about something in the Old Testament, Psalm 136. As we think about our culture, we are a culture of the now and the new. Are we not? The culture of the now and the new. What's new this morning? What did you see on the feed this morning? What's fresh in terms of an idea? But we struggle as a culture with reflection and remembering. About three weeks ago, I had the privilege of uh, driving my son, my second son, Bryce, up to college in Spokane, Washington, to Gonzaga University. And we went to Gonzaga, we went to the orientation, my wife flew up and met us. And in the orientation, I was uh, given kind of a, a fresh realization by one of the things the Vice President of Student Affairs shared with us, and that is that my son's class is the first class entering the university that has no real cognition, no real memory, first-hand memory of 9-11. This last uh, Monday was 9-11, was September 11th, the remember of what happened on September 11th, 2001. One of the things that happened on September 11, 2001, was that Flight 93 from Boston was reoriented by terrorists to come back to Washington, D.C. to inflict harm. And there was a 31-year-old man named Mark Bingham, who was a San Francisco-based CEO of a PR firm, and he was one of a group, or believed to be one of a group, that helped stop that plane from finishing its assignment in Washington, D.C. Now, this was a big old dude, 6'5", rugby player. Um, earlier in his life, he had actually subdued a gunman who was trying to rob him. So this guy had some guts, right? And he actually um, did something heroic and sacrificial in terms of, of his participation in terms of that plane. Very interestingly, Senator John McCain gave his eulogy, and I want to read you a part of that eulogy. Listen to this. It's now believed that the terrorists of Flight 93 intended to crash the airplane into the United States Capitol where I work, the great house of democracy where I was that day. It's very possible that I had been in the building with a great many other people when that fateful, terrible moment occurred and a beautiful symbol of our freedom was destroyed along with hundreds, if not thousands, of lives. I may very well owe my life to Mark and the others who summon the enormous courage and love necessary to deny those depraved, hateful men their terrible triumph. Listen to this. Such a debt you incur for life. Boom. There you go. So in that eulogy, and here in this 16th anniversary this year of 9-11, there were many, many remembrances in many cities and in the sites of where that took place. And what does it mean to develop 
listen to this, develop organizational memory, to develop cultural memory about what we decide to remember and why that's important. And in terms of the life and the history of our country, that could be things that were very terrible and wrong in the life of our country that need to be remembered so that they will not be repeated. Those can also be very excellent and joyful and amazing things that happened so that we can look at that as models of the kind of behavior and the kind of people we would become. Now, I want to say this. As a culture, as a country, we struggle with that. And some of the battles and tensions even in our culture and our country right now are about that struggle of what and how we remember so we can become the people we aspire to be. Step away from living in the United States for a minute and step into the fact that if you are in Christ Jesus, you're in a family called the family of God. You have a father. You are in a place that Jesus declared as the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. And as the people of God, we're to develop the culture of God on the earth. This may be new to you, or it may be a refresher, but it's so important, and part of that culture is remembering. Part of that culture is remembering so we can cultivate gratitude in our hearts. Now, we know this because all the way back from the beginning and the founding of the people of God through Abraham and his descendants, this was built in. Psalm 136. Psalm 136. You may have a Bible app. You may have a Bible made of paper. Psalm 136. Let's open to it. If you have a Bible, I'm really appreciating that because we're going to do something again um, where people are going to, be, going to be getting used to how I teach and preach. So bear with me. Psalm 136 begins, Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. For his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. Why? For his steadfast love endures forever. Okay. Now we're going to do something. You came to hear something. But I teach at William Jessup University. Have for 12 years. I teach in an interactive style. And you already played along by saying... Rejoice always, pray continually, and give thanks in every situation, which I totally appreciate. Now I'm going to push you another step. We may have to bring the lights up even more, Sean. We'll see if we can. If you can't, that's fine. All right. Is this, Psalm 136, somebody next to you has a Bible. If they don't have a Bible, there's Bibles on the communion tables in the middle. And there's, I want you to get Bibles. You get you a Bible. Okay, or you have your Bible app. I want you to be with someone next to you, and I want you to read Psalm 136. You can read it back and forth to each other. One person can read it. One person can listen to it. But I want you to look at the cultural memory that's being cultivated in the book of Psalms, which is the book of songs. If you're not sure where to find Psalms, open the Bible to the middle. That's the book of Psalms. And this song is a song of remembrance for all that God had done in the life of Israel. Okay? So go, you have only a, a couple of minutes to do this, so get busy, get to work, 
Find someone near you. If not, talk to each other and look busy, like so that you don't feel like you're left out. If you're sitting by yourself, we're a community of God's people. Go find someone, share your name, and get in the Bible. Get in the Bible. Go. Keep going, keep going. It's good to see everybody playing along. All right, now it's time to push to the end. Make sure you get through it. And so, and so what is the, you know, this is the ultimate, this is, Jesus isn't arrived yet. But what were they able to recognize? What did they sing? You know, when Rolly was telling us, the scripture uh, commends us to sing a new song. What were they, what were they singing? His love, say it with me, endures forever. Say it again. His love endures forever. So this new people of God, um, through, the, through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and his sons, the 12 tribes of Israel, the book of Leviticus, um, again, there's so much we, can, we could do today with this theme, but I do want to highlight two things in terms of the Old Testament that, that helped that people, and even the Jews of today, hold on to this idea. They are a people with a memory, with a cultural memory, with a God memory. How is that cultivated? Number one, in Leviticus, you can read on your own, beginning in Leviticus chapter 3, it sets the outlines of this, but then it's peppered throughout. Leviticus, the most underread book in the Bible, um, 
for good reason. Um, it's a tough one to get through. Let's just all be real about that. So Leviticus chapter 3, though, has this concept of thank offerings. And really the root word here um, into, the, into the Greek Septuagint uh, translation was Eucharisto, Eucharist, to give thanks. And the unique thing about thank offerings, they were, these were, were different than the, the other sacrifices that were made for atonement or otherwise, is that the, the idea of thank offerings were to indicate that the offer was already reconciled and in covenant with God. And so what it meant was that it was the principle of being entirely spontaneous and offered as the occasion should arise for the reason of remembrance of deliverance and life and blessing from God. It just spills out of, spills out of their lives. Let's have a party. Let's find a way to say thank you. So it was built into the life of God's people, this concept of thank offerings. As you move through, even in the life of Abraham, but really seen in the life of Joshua in chapter 4 as they cross the Jordan into the promised land, this promise that they had held on to since um, the, the blessing of that covenant promise was given to Abraham, was that it was commanded that they set up these piles of stones. They're called memorial stones. So that whenever you passed by, you did what? Everybody? You remembered that God is a God who delivers. God is a God who gives life. God is a God who's blessing. So hold on to this. We're in a culture that's pushing ahead, pushing ahead, valuing the now and the new and what's next, the innovation, the iteration. <laughs> and I love that about who we are as a culture and even in a, in a town and a city with a university that's committed to research and discovery. Wait a minute, that's a good word. Discovery, right? But we also need to be cultivating that remembrance so that we can say thank you. And I want to ask you, what are your memorial stone piles? What are your remembrance? What are your turning points? Some of you have marked them on your calendar. Some of you have, have recalled what that looks like and what that means. You know, for me, a wedding and in that wedding, people who stood with me and those people who stood with me coming back on my anniversary and saying, thank you for standing with me and thank you for standing with Heather and thank you for continuing to stand with us. So then in the low moments of our marriage when we're like, this is just too hard, can't we give up? You know, those were people in our life were like, not an option. We're going to stand with you, and we're going to bring you through. But just being able to say thank you and remember that. Um, what are your thank offerings? You know, this is an old concept, and, you, and hopefully you all got one on the way. And if not, there's a bunch more of them outside. So as you leave, you can take one or ten. I would love it if they all went away, and Leslie didn't have to bring any back to the office. Thank you notes. Thank you notes. You know what? A couple weeks into working here at... Uh, Discovery, I got a thank you note from someone. Now, it wasn't just a thank you note. Now, I'm a words guy, so inside was all kinds of very kind things said about me, which was totally appreciated because that's my love language. But alongside my love language is Heather's love language, which is gifts. 
And so she was pretty excited that there was a Starbucks gift card in there so that we could get some coffee. Wow, you know, it was a thank offering. That person didn't have to do that. That was, that was a, a modern-day thank offering, right? And I'm sure as that person wrote that or that person bought that gift card, it wasn't just about saying thank you to me, but there was a gratitude toward God that was exhibited in that as well. So thankfulness begins with marking your memories of deliverance, life and blessing, and remembering. Um, but that also brings us back to the touchstone, the touchstone. So um, in a moment we're going to be taking communion together, right? And so if you're new to Discovery, we're a church that takes communion together every week. So there's a communion station here, there, and two in the middle. In some Christian church traditions, it's called Eucharist, right? And now that we can debunk the mystery of that word, this is super dangerous going in front of the, have fun with that, Justin. Hopefully there's no big feedback moment. But, um, but when we take the bread and we dip it in the juice and we take that to us, we are confessing Jesus until he comes again. Jesus who said when he instituted communion, say it with me, do this in remembrance of me. See, that touchstone of thankfulness is the idea that we were doomed, doomed. And because of what Christ has done, we experience shalom. We experience wholeness, wellness, and life. In a sense, what Jesus did is he gave us something in our hand, and he said, this is a football. This is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for the new covenant that is being made. We're going to move through this pretty fast, but I really wanted to highlight this story in Luke 17, 11 to 19. If you want to look at it, you can, but I'm just going to tell the story. Jesus, in his itinerant ministry, is moving back toward Jerusalem, and he moves through the borderlands between Judea and Samaria. And as he's moving through the borderlands of Judea and Samaria, there's 10 people with leprosy. They see Jesus, and they cry out, Have mercy on us! Have mercy on us! Have pity on us! That attracts Jesus' attention. And in this particular instance, he, he does something different than everywhere else before because there's no formula for healing. It's one of Jesus' important, important teachings. Healing is part of our ministry, but how Jesus does it is multifaceted. So in this situation, he says to the ten lepers, go show yourselves to the priests. And it says that as they went on their way, they were cleansed. So there's a huge principle happening here. Number one, they knew they were doomed. They were on the borderlands. They had no place to go. We find out in a few verses later that at least one of them is a Samaritan. So I tell you, the disease was a leveler of cultural problems and pain back then. 
it put together this hangout for the hurting on this border of, of no, no man's land, where nobody wanted to be. As they went on their way, they were cleansed. One of the ten, as he sees that he has no more leprosy, his skin is pink and whole and perfect, he heads back to Jesus. Why does he head back to Jesus? Because he's the source of healing. Jesus said there's a system in place through the priests where you can go back and prove that you, the disease is gone. And I will tell you that the healing from leprosy wasn't just a physical healing, but it was an emotional healing and it was a cultural healing because people could be in community again. And so there was a system for that. There was a temple for that. There was a process for that. But something better than the system and the stuff and the status of that day had come. And that was a source, our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen? And one of these people recognized that and came back to Jesus and said, thank you. It said he was loudly rejoicing. So first he's loudly crying out, I'm needy. I need something. Need, 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 need. But then he's like, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Does everybody get this? So this thankfulness is a recognition that our need has been satisfied by the source. And Jesus is the source for that. He says something fascinating to this person. First, he says something fascinating about him. Number one, that person's a Samaritan. I call this the other good Samaritan story. Everybody knows about the good Samaritan. This is the other good Samaritan, like the Samaritan who got it. And so that good Samaritan who comes back and says, thank you, Jesus says to, to this person, recognizing his faith, recognizing his return, recognizing his thankfulness, he says, go, you are well. In other words, shalom. Right? Those other nine were cleansed of their disease and probably went through the process of that system but shalom happens when we meet the source, when we meet the Savior, when we have that satisfaction that can only come from him. And it comes from our people and our recognition that our need has been met. The people of God, I hope your communion today is different, new, and fresh because of this different, new, and fresh. We put another card uh, in your, just because we're giving you a lot of cards today. It's this little, this little card, right? And we're going to give you a time and a moment to take this card, and if you have a pen, fantastic. If you don't, we put some on the tables there, and, uh, or at the discovery table in the back, but, you know, what did Jesus do for you? What does the fact that you are experiencing shalom? And maybe you just write that down, and you write a note to Jesus and say, thank you. This is, I'm coming back to you. I'm coming and stepping away from the systems and the season and the status and the stuff. Thank you, Jesus. I'm doing this in remembrance of you. 
For those of you who are here who have not yet been clear about Christianity, this is the very kernel. This is the white hot center of the gospel that we all stand in need. We all have a disease that will ultimately kill us called sin. And unless we find the source of forgiveness for that sin and we receive that forgiveness personally saying, Jesus, have mercy on me, have pity on me, forgive me, we'll never know life and blessing in his name. But as soon as we do that, the pathway to life and blessing begins. Let's take our last few minutes and even as we head toward the communion table to turn to a New Testament passage in the book of Colossians, Colossians chapter 3. So if you want to turn there with me, I am going to read this uh, out loud. This begins really in um, chapter 3, verse 12. We're only going to read 15 to 17, but it's the impact of the, of the transformed life when we know that we're in Christ. Uh, but I just want to read to you this, this last part to, to reiterate in the disciples of Jesus that were, were meeting in the city of Colossae and all of, the, all of the New Testament letters. Paul starts every single letter thanking God. It's a culture of gratitude. Let me read to you just these uh, simple verses beginning in verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which you indeed were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him. Paul very simply is saying to them, look, whether it's your internal life, whether it's the, the me portion of your life that you're living out, or it's the we experience that you have in terms of the people of God and gathering together, Thankfulness is at the very center of who we are. I was just thinking in our own culture, you know, that it's actually cool and all right sometimes to say, thank God. Everybody ever hear that in culture? Thank God. People who uh, have a little more reverence say, thanks be to God. Thank God. Hear it after, after uh, sports events or after in the midst of the, like the tragedies that, that portions of our, of our country in Texas and Florida have had to endure. Thank God. I was thinking growing up, you know, very simple, simple prayers that my, my parents would teach us over meals. Some of you might know this one. God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. In Jesus' name, amen is cultivating thankfulness. I kept praying, and I'm thinking, and I'm like, Lord, what do you want me to say about this? And he brought to me 
a very weird image of the small aliens in Toy Story. You saved our lives. Say it with me. We are eternally grateful. <laughs> oh my goodness, what if that just became our nighttime prayer? You saved our lives. We are eternally grateful. That's a good prayer. Hey, parents with kids, boom. That's a freebie right there. Maybe that's how we should end. I just remember teaching my sons to pray when they were little. And it was interesting because we'd pray at night before they went to bed. And a lot of times it was, you know, more like, you know, what happened during the day or what they needed, what they wanted, so maybe things they'd heard parents or uh, our, us pray or other adults pray. And we would, you know, and it would be done. They'd say amen. I'm like, well, like, can you say thank you to God for anything? Did anything happen that was good today? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And then they'd say a few things. And they'd forget the next day and the next day. It's so awesome to pray with them now, 2018 and 16. Guess what they do? Thank you, Lord. Right? Got to train. Got to sing in our hearts with thankfulness with God. We've got to set apart the peace of Christ inside us and be thankful. We need to sing songs together as God's people or in our, in our family units or in our household. If you're living with roommates, what's filling your house, you know, with thankfulness or in our life? Whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of Jesus. You know what? I want to, I want to suggest this to you as we close. If you look at this Colossians passage and you say, I'm going to set apart the peace of Christ in my heart and be thankful. If you're like me, almost every day, at some point I have stinking thinking, my mind is not in a good place, or my heart's not in a good place. If you want to change the internal environment of your life, start thanking God. And I'm not talking about just thinking thankful thoughts. But like out loud looking like a mad woman or a madman <laughs> a little bit. God, I'm going to remember. I'm thankful because I'm walking around. I'm thankful because I ate this morning. I'm thankful because I'm in this controlled environment inside this room where in the summer we have air conditioning and in the winter we have heat, right? There's a, so many things to be thankful for. And you will shift the internal condition. Does everybody understand this? This is what I put in your notes is calling the habit of thankfulness. You want to shift that internal nature because it's so easy to go down a, a bad road in your mind or in your heart right now, right? People of God, the culture of the kingdom, the culture of the family of God is shifting things internally. This might be your application point, the me side of it. The we side of it is you can shift the atmosphere wherever you are by being thankful. If you're in the, your break, you've left your cubicle, you're in the little kitchenette, you're getting your snack, whatever, at work, right? And all of it is grumbling and complaining about what's happening at the university and your department or what's happening in your, your, your business or in your workplace or what's happening in the, in the station or in the firehouse or wherever you might be doing your work or your labor, Right? What about if you don't join in and you just say, you know, one thing that I've seen that I really appreciate is Dave. One time last week, Dave did this. 
man, I'm thankful Dave's here because otherwise you're right. It would be all bad. You want to shift the atmosphere? You have the power to do it. You're saved. You have Jesus. The peace of Christ is set apart in your heart. You have a song that you can sing in your mind and your heart. Whatever you do in word or deed, that means wherever your feet take you, people of God. You can shift the atmosphere to gratitude. You can shift it to thankfulness by remembering, by understanding the source, and by creating that habit in your life. And as we talk about who discovery is, where discovery is going, you know what? We're part of the people of God for the city, for the state, for the nation, but as a people, can we just say, because in my time here already, and my time that I'm going to be with everyone and be a part of this congregation, I want to see that culture. That's core, right? That's tackling, right? You see un ungratefulness. You see short-sightedness. You see pushing on to the next thing. You see somebody pushed off to the side or shunned, right? You tackle it. <laughs> you tackle it and you say this is who we are this is how we live together right so you have some homework you got a thank you note right and I want you to take that thank you note and it could be somebody in your household it could be somebody in your workplace it could be somebody else in the church but I want you to write that thank you note to them and hand it to them you don't have to put in the Starbucks card right but that always helps that can't no pressure. But just to, to say to them, this is what I see in you. This is why I'm thankful for you in my life. And right now, and uh, the worship team can come up, we're going to move into this time that we share every week around the, the table of the Lord. This is the Eucharistic table, not high church. It's the table of thankfulness, the table of gratitude, the table of do this in remembrance of me. And because we're not all just me's, but we're we's, we're going to do something um, this morning we've done before in the, in the history of the church, but we, it's not our regular practice. But what I want to ask you to do today, as you maybe write that note, and you can begin that now, there's just going to be some music for a while, even before we sing, write that note to Jesus, to say, thank you, Jesus, for what you've done for me. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This is the new covenant in my blood for the forgiveness of sins of many. Do this in remembrance of me. If you're a person who's confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, even if you're going to confess him for the first time this morning and say, I'm in, that's the people I want to be a part of. That's the culture I want to be a part of and I want to create. Come to the table. Pray to Jesus. Forgive my sins. Have mercy on me. Have pity on me become new and start your life with Jesus today. As you take the bread and dip it today, I'm going to ask you to go back to your seat and hold the elements today. Hold the elements. And after this first song, we are going to actually take this together, confessing together what the source is for our life, our blessing, and our deliverance. Okay? Come because the table's been prepared. And it's open to everyone who knows their need and comes to Jesus as the answer.